Let's pray together, church. Our Father, we trust you. We love you. You are our God. We are your people. Father, we come before you with great hope that your Son will hold us fast, will enlighten and awaken us to your goodness and your glory. And we ask, O God, by your Spirit, awaken us. May the Spirit of Christ dwell in us richly as we seek to understand what your Scripture is teaching us. Remind us, O Lord, of the great glory of your Son today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning I have a quiz for you. I hope you're ready. I'm going to name some famous people. I want you to tell me what they have in common. Are you ready? All right. Alfred Pennyworth. Lurch. Cogsworth. Benson Dubois. Smithers. What? Gee, man. Well done, sir. I've got uh, Jarvis. Edwin Jarvis. Niles. Mr. Carson. And Mr. Jeeves. G-Man nailed it. These are all butlers. Servants in the house of the master. Very well done, sir. If you're not familiar with any of them, um, these are pop culture butlers that, uh, that are somewhat famous. Even if you don't recognize these famous butlers, today as we look in Isaiah... We're going to look at this phrase called my servant, my servant. If you're not familiar with the my servant in the book of Isaiah, then prepare to learn something today. You will see the my servant motif that is created in Isaiah and then finished and fulfilled in the New Testament. And if you don't recognize that phrase, my servant, get ready to enjoy a lesson in the word today. Last week, we, we're, well, this year, we are walking through the scripture. We're walking through the great uh, progression of creation to fall, that God has created this world with a purpose and design. Today, you will see a, a, a vision of that next phase, which gets to redemption and kingdom. Redemption is what gets us into the kingdom. We see and we've studied the great fall and the continual failures of Israel. And now we'll begin to see a picture, a snapshot of redemption coming into that next phase of the kingdom of God being realized and being demonstrated in us and through us. Oh, this is going to be fun today, y'all. So Isaiah, we're in the book of Isaiah. Last week we, we saw Isaiah and his relationship with Hezekiah. Uh, we looked at the green pool turning into the crystal clear pool, that transformation that takes place through God's work. Today, we're going to look at, at Isaiah's picture and the next phase that's coming. The next phase that's coming. All right. 
If you're not familiar with Isaiah, again, it is 66 books. The first 39 are, are judgment against uh, a, a disobedient, disengaged Israel. But then chapter 40 comes and it brings us hope. Uh, it brings us something different. Chapter 1 says something like this. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. And he continues in verse 7. Your country lies desolate. In other words, judgment is coming. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate. It is overthrown by foreigners. And that pretty much sums up the first 39 chapters. I mean, there's a lot of detail that, and no slight to those at all. But this is the first section of Isaiah. And then we get to chapter 40, which is an explosion. Uh, it is a transition from something old to something new. Now, if you're not familiar with, uh, with this something new, uh, I'm gonna, we're going to walk through what that something new is. This is not just something that is uh, different. Uh, it is something that is, uh, that is a, a transformation of the way that, that, that uh, the whole system of religion is now going to work. And Isaiah is going to bring it to them and paint them a picture of a new creation, if you will, through the last 26 chapters of this book. Now, let me give you some information that will hopefully help you understand as you read through the book of Isaiah, as we read through it as a church in this section of the Bible. Um, chapter 40 forward comes from a, a post-exile perspective. And if you don't know what that means, let me explain that to you somewhat simply. God raised up, and, and he clearly says he raised up people to come in and, and destroy the nation of Israel. And, and it left the people of Israel in a very bad place. They were ruined. And what I just read, their cities were burned and, and on fire. They were ruined. But then, 200 years later, there comes a redemption for the nation of Israel. Now, Chapter 40 forward are written from that perspective 200 years later. But they're written by Isaiah before the destruction even comes. Uh, let me, I'll give you some dates. So 700s is when Isaiah is writing. 586, the southern kingdom falls after Isaiah is dead and gone. And then Isaiah gives them the message from the 500s perspective when they're when they're about to come back and they're about to begin a new nation of Israel. And Isaiah gives them a picture of the new Israel that will be birthed again. But that's not it. He gives them the, the new new Israel, which will be realized even later, even 400 years later at the coming of the Messiah. So let's break this down. And I hope you'll understand in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 6, we get a hint of this, and it is this. When Isaiah is giving his testimony, uh, he says this. He says, bind up this testimony, seal my teachings among my disciples. 
And you might say, well, what does that have to do anything? anything? Well, here's what most people think is going on in Isaiah. He writes this first section of the book to say this is the judgment that's coming soon. And then he writes the second section of the book as a message to Israel later and says, bind it up. Keep it with my disciples because this message of, of hope and redemption is not for you yet. It will be for you, but it's not for you yet. And so if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to open up to Isaiah chapter 40. And it'll be on the screen behind me. But this is the message that he's going to bring. Now remember, this message is coming probably hundreds of years after it is written. And you have a people in a country who has lost hope or faith in their God. Now, we can probably relate to this. If you have ever lost confidence in God when you look around and you see the nations around us or the people around us victorious, sometimes you lose confidence. And, and this is the perspective of a people whose other nations and other gods of nations have ruled over them their entire lives. So they have lost confidence a bit in their God. And, and here's the message that the Lord gives to them. And I read it a bit earlier. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is now over. Her iniquity, her sin is pardoned. And she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. But hope is coming. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a pathway for our God. Every valley is going to be lifted up. It, there won't be valleys to have to pitfalls to, to run through. Every mountain and hill is going to be made low. You won't have to climb the mountains to get to the great hope. The uneven ground shall be level. All the rough places, they're made plain. It won't be hard to see what he says here. The glory of the Lord will now be revealed. Are y'all listening, church? The impediments to seeing the glory of God will be removed. God is going to reveal himself in such a way that it won't be hard to see his glory. Now, I don't know if y'all have ever read the Bible or not all the way through. You've probably read the Gospels. Or much of them if you haven't. And if I told you that the, the impediments to seeing the great glory of God would be removed. What do you think that Isaiah is talking about here? If you read the Gospel of Mark, you see it. Because the Gospel of Mark starts with the very beginning saying John the Baptist came. And he's going to make the mountains flat and raise the valleys so that they may see the glory of the Lord. The Gospel of John says, and his glory was made known among us. His glory was revealed to us. It came tabernacle among us. Isaiah is looking forward, forward to a time in which great hope would be brought to them. Um, any, any Star Wars fans? Anybody watch the Star Wars movies? Okay, I see one. Like the hands are not going up high. But I see you. Um, 
The very first Star Wars movie that was released was episode number what? Episode four, right? Y'all thought you were Star Wars fans. You didn't even know that number. Does anybody know the name of episode four? What is it? That's episode five. Wow. It was called A New Hope, and it was episode four, all right? And it begins with trouble, and, and there being almost the entire good guy population wiped out. But there's a message sent to a guy named Obi-Wan Kenobi, and that message from Princess Leia says, Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my, you're my only hope. That's it. It was as if the entire population had been destroyed, but there was one hope, and his name was Ben Kenobi. Well, if you've watched Star Wars, maybe you can relate to this. You have a nation that has been ransacked, that has been drugged out of their nation, brought to a foreign land, about to return and come back. And there is now... They're going back to their homeland and they need something. They need hope. And this is Isaiah's message. This is the message of 40 and on. Here comes hope. All right. Let me read, let me read to you another snippet from Isaiah chapter 46, verse 3. To a, a nation who has been removed... And brainwashed by the Babylonians, the Persians, these empires that have recalculated everything that they think of who God is. Listen to the message the Lord is sending them through Isaiah. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born from me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he. To your gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? This is in the context of of this chapter in which he's saying, you think these gods of other nations are great because your nation got destroyed? Just get a load of me. Wait till you see me. You cannot compare me. In fact, he names those leaders hundreds of years before they show up. And he says, I can do this. I'm God. You think that they defeated me because they're greater than me. You're wrong. These nations defeated you because I sent them for your judgment and for your chastening and for your discipline. In order to accomplish the greater purpose through you. That may not make sense, but but let me explain this just a bit. As we're reading through the Bible this year, you, you saw the promises to Abraham, right? That God would send through his seed salvation. We saw it even to Adam. That God would send salvation. Now we have a nation that's been raised up. Delivered from Egypt and brought into the promised land, but they have abandoned their God. But here's the thing. God has a purpose for that nation. 
And it's not just to have a, a, a lot of gold and silver like they did in, under the day of Solomon. And unfortunately, that's what this nation began to think. Our purpose is to be rich and happy. But God said, no, I've got more. My purpose for you is greater and it's redemption. And not just for Israel, but for all humanity. And this is the great hope that he's introducing to us in Isaiah chapter 40 and following. Let me read to you from Isaiah 52. Y'all with me this morning, church? Isaiah 52, verse 6. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speaks. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who bring good news. Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 10. How beautiful are those who publish peace, who bring good news of happiness, who publishes what, church? Salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. Paul tells us very clearly that this publishing of salvation is ultimately in what, church? It's going to come 700 years later after Isaiah writes it. And it's in the Son, Jesus Christ. And it is our job to bring this published salvation to the ends of the earth. God's plan is not merely for a country. God's plan of redemption is for humanity. Now, Israelite as they would read this, would understand, okay, salvation's coming. God's going to save us. Most of them probably thought, okay, well, he's going to now raise us up a nation again, and we'll be able to flourish, and we'll have some of the days of Solomon. We'll have some of the days of King David again. But that was not God's intended purpose for Israel. God's intended purpose was to bring a Messiah and a Savior for all Nations, and, and when you get to chapters 40, uh, 58, 54, and 58, you're going to see he's bringing this message worldwide. All right. I told you we were going to talk about something today. Anybody remember the phrase I used? My what? My servant. Very good. This is a phrase I want you to notice. It begins uh, in, in the 40s. And there is a a message to be brought about a specific character called my servant. And if you want to understand the book of Isaiah, you have to understand this my servant character. If you want to understand why in Acts, Peter's sermons are referencing back to my servant, we're going to see that today. If you want to see why in Philippians, Paul is talking about Jesus as my servant, you're going to see today. All right, here we go. Who is my servant? Who is my servant? All right. Well, that's a tricky question. I'm glad you asked. Because in Isaiah chapter 41, the servant is given a name. And we're going to read it. He says, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its furthest corner, saying, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. 
Fear not, I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So church, help me out. Who is my servant? Right? He gives him a name. Israel. The name of God's servant is Israel. If you look at Isaiah 49, verse 3, once again. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. These are two of many instances in which my, uh, the, my servant is named. And so as a, a, a Jewish person, you begin reading in Isaiah 40 and you say, okay, my servant is who? Well, it's, it's me. It's us. It's my nation. We are the servant that God has chosen to do the work through. And, and so you're okay with that. Well, then you get to chapter 45 and, and you begin to see maybe, well, maybe it's not just me that's my servant. And, and you get to Cyrus, who, who hasn't even been born yet, and Isaiah is naming him. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to his chosen one, to Cyrus, whose right I have grasped to subdue the nations before him, to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may be closed. Now, Cyrus was a Persian king that God raised up to bring destruction and, and judgment. He's called the anointed. That same title used for the Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah, the anointed. Interesting. Okay. So God is using lots of servants, maybe. As a Christian, though, we, we, have, we have a little bit of help. Because what we have is a, a second part to our Bible. And we call it the New Testament. And we have inspired apostles who have written and helped us interpret what's going on in Isaiah. And if you've missed it, let me help you out here, okay? Y'all ready? In, in the book of Acts, Peter begins preaching to a bunch of Jewish people. Now, if you remember, Pentecost comes. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and he begins to preach to a bunch of people who have read the Old Testament for a long time. For a lot of years, they know it. And he begins to tell them about how the Old Testament scriptures come together to prove that Jesus is the true Messiah. The true anointed one. And I'll offer to you today the true servant of God. Watch what he does. Acts 3.13. I won't read the whole sermon. But he says here, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his what? His servant, Jesus, whom you have delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. He continues on in the sermon in verse 26. God, having raised up his, what? His servant. Now, this word would have been familiar to them. They would have known my servant. God raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Okay, makes sense. Now, once again, in a, another sermon he gives in chapter 4, listen to how he says it here. For truly in this city, Jerusalem, 
There were gathered together against your, your holy servant, Jesus. And he shows those who gathered against him to kill him. Oh, okay, so we're talking here about Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel who, who were raised up to, to cause suffering to the servant. All right, all right, this is making a little more sense. Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, we recently studied this on Wednesday night. When describing Jesus, says Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of what? Help me out, church. Of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. So, who is the servant of God? Is, is it Israel? Is it Cyrus? Is it, is it Jesus? Well, not only do Peter and Paul talk about this role, guess who else talks about Isaiah and the role of my servant? Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Y'all with me? Watch this now. It's going to get important. And, he, and, and Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. This is one of the most powerful uh, burnt in my mind stories of Jesus uh, for whatever reason. This, this just always burns in my mind. Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet who? Come on, y'all, help me out. Whose, whose scroll was it? Isaiah. It was the Isaiah scroll. He's looking through. He sees all these scrolls and he says, yes. He picks up the Isaiah scroll and he says, watch this. Oh, this is good. He unrolled the scroll and he, uh, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. To the poor. That sound familiar? He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind. And to set liberty those who are oppressed. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if you have your Bible in front of you. You have a great help because it's not on the screen. What you probably have are little letters next to some of these phrases. In fact, you'll see them and then you'll see that little letter is in your margin somewhere on your footnotes. And it'll tell you where that's found. You know, it's pretty neat. If you look through, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You see it from this second section of the scroll Isaiah. Isaiah 61. Recovering sight to the blind. Isaiah 42. To set at liberty those oppressed. Isaiah 58. Recovering sight to the blind. Isaiah 49. You see in all of this, this new section that Jesus is showing. Remember that servant we talked about in that chapter 40 forward section of Isaiah? You know that servant? Watch what he does. Verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant. 
And he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue are looking at him. So he, he began to speak. And what did he say? <laughs> he said, uh, look in your footnotes, guys. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What? I don't know if y'all, y'all caught that. But here's 700 years earlier. We've been waiting 700 years. Hey, um, you, you handful of guys in the synagogue. Today. <laughs> Today. You see it. You've been waiting 700 years for this moment and it just happened. You're looking at him. The servant is here. Now this is, it's just, it's like that, um, years ago, you go to 7-Eleven to play the console video games. At least I did. I'd get a quarter. Maybe every other day I'd get a quarter. I could go play the video game. And some of the video games, they had those demo screens, you know, and, and they were burnt into the screen. So you're trying to play the video game and you're seeing the, the title of Dig Dug because you're trying to play the game and you can't even play because it's burnt. This, this story is burnt in my brain. Because Jesus begins to tell people in Luke chapter 4, I am the servant. I am the salvation. How beautiful are the feet of those who go and tell of me. He has, he has captured and brought them from this redemption phase to the kingdom is now here. It, it didn't start back in, in, in 400. It didn't start when, when we started rebuilding the temple. It's, it's now. Today, this has been fulfilled. It's as if Jesus completely hijacked Judaism. It's not as if he did. He, he did. Because he said, this is the old covenant. I have begun something new. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, Jesus said. He said, you're living under old wineskins. They're crusty and hard. I have new wine for you. I have something new. Jesus' first miracle was what, church? What was his first miracle? John chapter 2, he turned water to wine. I've got new wine for you. I've got something new. Get ready. The servant. The servant is me. Here's something neat. We may dig into this a little bit more tonight. Jesus is Israel. Let me give you this. Jesus is Israel. You remember Israel, they were, they were uh, Moses. They were killing all their babies, right? And then, and then there was a, a great persecution to kill the babies. What happened at Jesus' birth? What did Herod try to do? 
Oh yeah, he tried to kill all the babies. That's right. And where did Jesus have to go? Where'd he go? Oh, he went to Egypt, right? Just like the children of Israel went to Egypt in Exodus, right? And then they had to be called out of Egypt. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Oh, that was like, like Jesus. And remember, right after Jesus starts preaching, what does John the Baptist do to him? What does he do? He baptizes him in the water. He brings him through the waters. Remember that, that nation of Israel, what they have to do when they were fleeing Egypt, what they do? They went through the waters, right? And, and remember when they went through the waters, they got into this desert and they said, we're thirsty. All you, you brought us here to die. They were tempted in the wilderness. And what happened in the wilderness to Israel? They, they, they failed God. Right after Jesus is baptized and goes through the waters, guess where Jesus goes? Where does he go? Matthew chapter 4. He goes to the wilderness to be what? To be tempted. Look, Matthew makes efforts and labors to tell us this in his gospel. Jesus is Israel. The purpose of Israel is all fulfilled in Jesus. That's why Paul says to us, every promise is yes and amen in, in Christ Jesus. It's not about a nation. It's about a person. And it's about Jesus fulfilling. All right. Oh, Stacy, I'm, I'm, I got to run, girl. Woo, I got to run. All right. This is, I cannot not do this today. We're going to jump down to Isaiah 52. All right. Jesus has told us, hey, yo, I'm the servant fulfilled in your eyes the day you saw it. Now, with that in mind, you talk to any non-believing Jew today. And you say, look, I want to read with you Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. They're going to go, oh, oh, yeah, okay, all right, I know what you're going to do. You're going to say this is about Jesus. But no, no, this is about Israel. This is about Israel. Let, let me read to you from Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. 700 years B.C., mind you. Let me read to you. Just read. You, you hear this and you tell me that this is not about Jesus. All right. Can I do this? Isaiah 52, 13 through 15. Behold, my servant. There it is again. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. That sound like a nation or a person. As many... Uh, uh, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. True. For that which they have not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Chapter 53 verse 1. Who has believed what he's heard from us? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? My servant. He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. In other words, in a spiritual drought, here comes the root. Relating back to the root in Isaiah 6. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty. That we should desire him. He wasn't a rock star. He wasn't a model. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. He was thought to be the dregs of culture. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows. We have someone coming to pay our griefs, our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bearing the transgressions of another. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are all healed. This is salvation. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the sin, the iniquity of us all. My servant was oppressed. My servant was afflicted. My servant opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So my servant opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, my servant was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off, he was fit to be cut off and sent out. He was stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, with a rich man in his death. And although no, he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush my servant. The Lord has put my servant to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of my servant's soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. The blood of Jesus can make many clean. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide my portion with him with many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. He is going to be lifted up and exalted. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. That phrase should sound very familiar. It's quoted as of Jesus. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Church, let me give you this very clearly. I don't have time to to read everything and to put all of this together. But here's what I do have time to say. Jesus made it very clear. He made it very clear that 1,500 years of written Scripture was about Him. And that salvation that God had promised through Isaiah 700 years earlier was about Him. And Jesus made it very clear that He was drawing all who would come to Him unto salvation. And that anyone would come unto Jesus, He would not cast them out. Rather, He would put His wing over them. And protect them from the wrath of God that was upon them. He would redeem them and make their sins that were as scarlet, white as snow. Church, let me say something to you. Jesus saves sinners that repent. Jesus saves sinners that repent. And for thousands of years, everything was brought to a pinnacle point 
that Jesus Christ would pay for the sins of all who would believe in him. So if you're here today, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never humbled yourself and said, Jesus, I've been about my kingdom my whole life. I've been in the kingdom of this world and I've been married to it. If you've never said, I want a divorce, I want to enter into the kingdom of heaven now. If you've never said, I want to follow Jesus Christ and come under his rule and his authority, maybe today is the day for you. Maybe he's calling you out of darkness into light today. I want to say it very clearly. Jesus saves sinners that repent. Will you repent, sinner? Know that if you will not come under the wing of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's wrath will rain upon you so ferociously that you will be weeping and gnashing your teeth for all eternity in a place called hell. But Jesus offers a respite. He offers a redemption. He offers a safe haven for you. Will you come into the kingdom of Christ today? Church, what is our part of this? We've got to get the message out there. Jesus saves sinners that repent. We are his servants. He's called us to be part of his kingdom, to be heralds for his kingdom. Church, we helped this past week. Our church helped at Vacation Bible School right up the road. Another church. We told people about Jesus. What's next? Well, what's next is we have... Things to do this week. We have preparations to make. We have projects for this fall. We have business to take care of in this church. We are doing the work of God together. My servant has come. He has proclaimed who he is. Church, are we willing to go and bring the message of my servant to the people around us, to the people in our houses, to the people in this community? Church, are you willing? Church, I'm talking to you. Church, are you willing? Let's do this. The servant of God is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us proclaim the servant. Let us proclaim the redemption to our families and to this community. If you want to know how to do that, come see. Please. Let's pray together. Jesus Christ is the servant and we lift up, oh Father, and praise your name. God, do a work in our souls today. Transform us. Lord, give us faith to believe in Jesus. We love you. We trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.